0: Alright, welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host, and I'm excited to bring you an interview today with Franklin Horton. Franklin, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Sure, Nathan. It's good to see you again. I appreciate the invite.
0: Yeah, it's always great great chatting with you. Um, I was thinking back to uh, when we first met, I think I first ran into you at, in Austin at the Smarter mm-hmm. Artists Summit. And I remember uh, when I walked in the first day of the conference, I was looking around for... Anybody to talk to I didn't know a soul over there And uh, you were the first person I saw sitting there I'm like this guy seems like cool character I'm going to go over here He seems relaxed He looks like he knows what he's doing I'm going to go <laughs> hang out with him Well
1: I was lost too So that worked out well I remember we went to lunch together So yeah. uh, you know it all started there
0: Yeah That's usually my time If I can get someone to go get tacos with me Then that's, that's a good I'm up person. for
1: tacos any day You call me any day I'm there
0: this is why I like our friendship, because we're going to get along so well in the future.
1: Filter around talking
0: <laughs> As all the great friendships are. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I really appreciate being able to, to chat with you a little bit today. Um, I've been sort of following along with your series a little bit, and and I'm very impressed with, with what you've uh, done with your series, especially your branding, and I'm hoping to talk to you a little bit about that uh, in a little bit. but. Uh, For people who aren't familiar with you, could you tell people a little bit about your series and what it is you write?
1: Yeah, um, what I write is uh, post-apocalyptic science fiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've always been a fan of that genre, and I was a person who never had any luck coming through the traditional system, so when I started Mm -hmm. self-publishing, I decided I was going to aim for something that I enjoyed reading and that was the post apocalyptic stuff. And Mm -hmm. I had a couple of writers that I enjoyed, so I kind of followed their lead, put my own spin on it and wrote a series called The Borrowed World that was uh, really based on what I was doing at the time. It was based on a guy who was doing my job, uh, based on a lot of friends of mine, and uh, we all just kind of took this journey together. And there are six books in that series now. Uh, There's a a spinoff series called Locker Nine, and Mm -hmm. I have one standalone thriller, but most of the books I've written have been in the uh, Locker Nine Borrowed World universe.
0: Okay, and your post-apocalyptic stuff is, is sort of a thriller type of post-apocalyptic, right, as far as the...
1: Yeah, it is, it it kind of follows a thriller structure. It is, uh, you know, graphic and fairly violent, Mm. similar to a lot of thrillers that you would read, Mm. so it's not the kind of laid-back, passive, uh, you know, pastoral story. It's more of a thriller-type structure.
0: Okay, yeah, if you had to give it like a movie rating system, like PG-13? Or was it was this like R-rated, PG-13? What, would you, what do you think you would classify yours as?
1: My Locker 9 books are PG-13 because mm. they have a big teen YA following, but the Borrowed World stuff is R.
0: Okay, so pretty adult, you know, and yes. you said pretty graphic and stuff. So, yeah, the
1: language and violence, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, it's always good for, for readers to know going in. <laughs> um, so... A lot of people. I want to talk just a little bit about post-apocalyptic fiction in general. And you said you you obviously got into it because it's what you love. Um, I know a lot of people get confused when they talk about. Well, is it apocalyptic? Is it post-apocalyptic? Is it dystopian? Um, what sort of? Could you talk a little bit about uh, your post-apocalyptic genre specifically, and and what kind of drew you to it?
1: Yeah, you know, everybody's got their own little definition. Uh, my stories deal with uh, with a collapse that it was a practical occurrence. Uh, there was a terror attack. It caused what they call a cascading systems failure, where you started losing gas, you started losing power. All these things fell apart. So it's basically dealing with a very realistic, practical situation that that mushrooms and snowballs into something larger mm. that then begins to affect everyone in the country. So there's no uh, EMP, there's no zombies, there's no aliens. It's kind of a very uh, concrete thing that takes place. Okay. So it deals with... Um, the event that occurs and how that immediately affects people in the aftermath of the event. And then it begins to stretch on for months and months and months mm-hmm. and follow people during uh, the collapse and hopefully the eventual recovery from this event.
0: Mm. Well, it sounds like it buys you a, a lot of territory to, to write in because you know, a, a collapse of that magnitude. If it's not just zombies, you can't just find the cure for zombies and then get out of it, right? So you've got to deal with this world for a while. Am I right?
1: Yeah, and, and people have uh, differing levels of preparedness, mm-hmm. so that, that creates a lot of drama in itself. You have mm-hmm. people who are more prepared, people who are less prepared, and people ha- who have very pressing needs, such as people who are drug addicted, or people who are mentally ill and mm-hmm. need medication, or uh, you know, just people who thrive on chaos and are glad mm-hmm. that they have an opportunity to, to explore anarchy. So yeah. it, it creates a whole vast landscape that you can write about.
0: Yeah, I think there's, it's amazing that there's no lack of personal drama that can come out of any <laughs> situation. I think it's why everyone loved Lost, you know, and things like that, where all of a sudden, hey, you're just in the middle of a plane crash. You woke up, now what? And it's just, I think people, we get fascinated by that. We love the the survival stories. I think it's like the most basic type of story, but it's, it's, it's always fascinating.
1: Well, you know, you look at uh, events like uh, power outages from Mm -hmm. hurricanes or snowstorms or Mm -hmm. ice storms or whatever, you know, people may complain when they're in the midst of it, but people enjoy those things mm-hmm. if, as long as there's no loss of life or property yeah. damage or anything like that they look back on those events and they're like you know that was kind of fun in the end so i think there is some part of us that uh, always wonders how we would fare in a situation like that mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's that's what draws a lot of my readers into it because my stuff is very practical it's there's a lot of detail in there about you know mm-hmm. different techniques and gear and survival stuff. So that's become one of my tie-ins to the very practical survival community is mm-hmm. the realism of the books.
0: I noticed that even on your website, you had listed some of the gear that shows up in your books and even links to things like that. Was that um, as a result of like emails that you had gotten from people who asked about your your books, or was that something you kind of predicted? Uh, folks wanting
1: that was that was my approach to the books to begin mm. with, because I came to uh, a lot of this preparedness stuff as a backpacker. I had been backpacking mm. for years, I hike a lot, so the people who enjoy that activity tend to be real uh, gear oriented okay. so they 're always yeah. talking about gear and comparing notes so uh, I brought that to the books, too, that mm-hmm. you know this is the gear I used, and I tried to only write about uh, items I was familiar with, so most everything that is in my series is something I've either either owned or looked at or tried out or mm-hmm. researched. so I try to take a practical approach to that because my readers will question that they send tons of emails, hundreds of emails. Thousands of emails asking about you know little details, tiny yeah. little
0: stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting.
1: So but, it better be accurate.
0: Yeah. I, I believe believe that. Yeah. And um, I was just thinking too. It's probably a, an interesting thing too. Like in a survival scenario, it's one of those situations where it's almost like the person with the best gear wins in a lot of in a lot of cases, depending on you know what you're up against. <laughs> but um, do you find that that's that's part of the fun of it? Is like having your characters, you know in search of particular items, almost like, you know, video game-esque where you have to, like, run around in order to survive. You're going to need to get yourself this, this, and this. Is that right? Is there any of that in your your stories?
1: Part of what I've... And this is... This is- Part of my personal philosophy about this, but also mm. something that as I've explored these scenarios in the books, I've realized too, is that mindset is really the defining factor. Mm. You have people who have the mindset that they are going to survive whatever it takes and that they're going to be able to find the gear. And even mm. if they don't have the top gear, they have the will to survive and they have the ability to go out and track down the things they need. So I see that mindset as the determining factor. So it's, it's having the gear, but mm-hmm. also even if you don't have the gear, if you've got the mindset, you're going to be able to get out there and track down the things you need. And and that's a lot of what I see these books doing for people who are very practical, survival-minded people,
0: is mm-hmm. the books
1: allow them to explore scenarios and kind of play them out in their head and see, well, what would I do if I was faced with that situation?
0: Mm-hmm. And I think obviously a lot of young adult readers uh, were thrown into that with the Hunger Games and being okay. Here you're thrown into a you know fight to survive scenario. Do you run for the stuff? Do you run for the woods? Like what do you do? How how have you found your audience? Um, kind of breaks down. Do you you said there's a lot of course hikers things like that who like gear. Um, what's your audience like? Do you think as far as demographics and such? <laughs> they
1: they tend to be older folks. Uh, hmm. You know I'm. I meet a lot of folks in their late forties to early sixties who are fans of this genre and there's a lot of readers who are, you know, naturally women because women make up so much of that demographic. Mm. But uh, you know, when I do events it's it's men and women who are coming up. The Walker Nine series of books is appeals to a younger audience, but by far, it's older men, women, uh, a lot of ex-military folks, a lot Mm -hmm. of law enforcement folks. Those are people I hear from a lot, Mm -hmm. and I I do a lot of events uh, with some other authors who write similar books. We do survival shows. We do preparedness conferences. We do seminars, and uh, those are the people that you see at those things. It's generally an older demographic. Okay,
0: yeah. Yeah. And um, so, do you find that like that's often a very personal way to connect with a reader? I mean, you're you're right there, talking you know talking gear, talking stories with them. Um, And has that how how has that kind of influenced your writing? Do you feel like you've started writing differently because you have such a personal relationship with your readers?
1: Oh yeah, because you get very direct feedback, and mm. you you see a lot of these people at the same events. Mm. So you know the same people that I see in Jacksonville, I may see in Baton Rouge, and then in North Carolina. So you know if you do something that they don't approve of, they're going to see you again down the road, and they're going to mention that you know that you really screwed up this detail.
0: Yeah,
1: because uh, I did that with uh, uh, some amateur radio stuff, some ham radio details mm. that I got incorrect, mm. and they let me know about that but see that also spurs the ideas because you know i wrote this borrowed world series i wrote the first few books and i started doing these seminars and i started hearing from parents who were like well you know what really concerns me is if my child was in college when this happened or my Mm -hmm. child was living a couple of cities away so that led to me writing this locker nine book about a paranoid dad who was trying to get his daughter home from college and okay. so that type of feedback that I'm getting really produces direct results.
0: Yeah, I can see that informing your stories quite a lot. Have you uh, attempted to recruit some of these folks into an actual you know beta team? Do you use beta readers for your stories?
1: <clears throat> I don't use beta readers, but I use those people as proofreaders mm. because uh, there are so many different uh, differing opinions that I've found that you know if I start addressing all of their. Conflicting ideas—the book process just draws out forever and ever. Yeah, I but remember. what I, I do use is this beta reader group for the purpose of proofreading, and that mm-hmm. that really helps me pick everything out, and uh, also helps them feel that they have a developmental role in the series.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, Still, so get leaves you in the driver's seat completely. But I, I've I've personally found like I, there's you can't possibly know all the details of all these different items and things you're using, so I think beta readers can sometimes come up with stuff that I did not have the time to research, Yeah, you know? Well, and,
1: and to, that, uh, to that I do have several hundred people that have sent me you know, these emails about their willingness to provide details mm. on things, and you know, you don't know the reach of your book until you start hearing from these people who have, uh, you know, special operations backgrounds or special forces backgrounds or, you know, foreign service backgrounds or ham radio backgrounds or whatever, and they start reaching out to you and saying, hey, if you ever need to know how you do this, just shoot me an email. And, you know, I can track down the most obscure information now on, you know, tactical uh, situations because Mm -hmm. I've got this whole database of people I can reach out to
0: yeah yeah absolutely it makes sense it's a valuable tool at your disposal whenever you want it there
1: and it helps them buy in they become ambassadors for your brand after that Mm -hmm. because they have played a role in the development of it so they start Mm -hmm. telling people you know I've been there I'm part of this I'm you know with this guy I've talked to him he's real and uh, you know he listens
0: yeah um, and speaking of, of brand, it was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about because it's, of the authors I know. I, I know very few who are as on brand as as you are. Um, I
1: appreciate that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I and mean, it's just I'm, I'm very impressed. Of course, you, you said that um, I've seen that this wasn't, for example, your covers weren't the original design, but you've kind of gone back and done some work on that and, and to try to 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 finesse your your branding. What are some of the decisions you've made there to? streamline your branding
1: well in my first borrowed world cover i only had one book out at the, at the time that i linked up with this company deranged doctor design out of serbia and that's okay. who i used for my covers so when i first hooked up with these guys i think they were growing their business also mm. so between that first book and the time that i released the second book about three months later i realized you know i don't think this first cover cover is representative of where i want to go with the series so when mm. we started the second cover we had a lot of discussion about that and and they were very influential and you know we need to make some distinctive branding here that as you go on uh you know this this will continue to evolve and and that has played out to where i hear comments from people that you know even if you didn't put your name on the books we would know they're your books because they're so distinctive in the covers yeah and you yeah, know, and that that for the most part, of the books I've released, I've released nine books. Eight of them are consistent with that brand. One is a thriller that's off genre. So uh, the, I think the branding has turned out really well, and, and people see it, and they know it's my book. That's exactly what I want.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think it's fantastically done. And uh, what were some of the things that went into you finding these guys? As uh, Obviously, they didn't just say, we're going to design you a book, but they – obviously knew about branding, what kind of led you their direction?
1: You know, it's it's one of these things that when you're first starting out and you don't know anybody in the business and you really don't have a lot of places to turn. I had Mm -hmm. authors I trusted that I got in the front of their books and saw who did their... editing and all Mm -hmm. that and that's how i tracked down editors but when it came to covers i just uh, started scouring the internet for uh different cover designers and looking Mm -hmm. at the covers they've used and it ended up that uh there are a couple of people who have really risen up in post apocalyptic to do the majority of the covers out there and uh, these guys were kind of off to the side but we've just developed a good partnership and they're You know, this is not a freelance operation. These guys have an office, and they show up every day, and they work business hours, and they're just Mm -hmm. very professional about it. And that really impressed me. It's not like you're dealing with somebody who's working odd hours, and you can never communicate with them. These Mm -hmm. guys are right there every day like they're a bank or a doctor's office.
0: Yeah, you have to appreciate that level of professionalism. And it obviously shows in the quality of the work, too. I mean, the the colors. I mean, I'm a big a uh, fan of just you know the color contrasts and things when it comes to covers, and yours, yours, I think,
1: are fantastic, the lighting
0: that goes on. I'm, I'm definitely well, and that's a fan. what you
1: uh, hope that a good cover designer can bring to mm-hmm. you is their their input and that you can trust when they try to guide you in a certain direction that they're going to mm-hmm. do the right thing for you, and these guys have always done that. I, I trust their opinion very much.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's fantastic. So um, I'm sure it must pay off in person when you go to these shows and you have, you know, posters or obviously the books and things like that, that, uh, it's got to be an attractive quality for people coming to your booth and your, your, you know,
1: stuff. I'm totally merciless with this. I buy t-shirts and I make my wife and kids wear them all over the place. (laughs) i I post that stuff everywhere. I'm completely shameless about it. Uh, yeah. but, but they do draw people in and mm-hmm. I, I've seen in person the effect that good covers can have versus bad covers. And mm-hmm. I've, I've been really fortunate with those guys and it's, it's made me uh, very obligated to them. I, I trust them, like I said, and I, I would stick with them.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. There's, there's no underestimating the power of good art. Um, mm-hmm. when it comes to this. So, um, have you had found, had an especially uh, effective side item like that, like t-shirts or mugs or something <laughs> like that? Have you had anything in particular that is really popular?
1: You know, I've I've thought about doing those, and uh, I haven't really broadened out anything mm-hmm. into anything yet. Although it's interesting that the biggest swag item that I've I've looked at is after we left Nink last year, the novelist mm-hmm. Inc. conference. My next stop was to visit this gun manufacturer who wanted to do AR-15s branded off my books. Mm, so yeah, be that, about that, that hasn't developed, but he's spoken to several other post-apocalyptic authors, and we thought, you know, that could be a very distinctive branding item
0: mm-hmm. if they're tied
1: to the books. But it would be expensive swag, mm-hmm. so I don't know if I don't know if that's going to work out. <clears throat> so really, only banners and you know the basics.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. That, that that will be a, a great item. It's like we were one of the uh, speakers at I want to say it was the Selmore Book Show in Chicago. Was talking about the the, the um, author, sort of indie author problem of like only ever having small things to sell, of cheap things to sell, unless you're you know maybe a non fiction author and then you can work your way up to selling courses and things like that that are five hundred dollars. But for a fiction author, especially an indie fiction author, where a lot of times we're just selling. Two ninety nine, three ninety nine, five ninety nine e and it's not you have to just sell so many of them as opposed to having something like that, which is like a branded, you know, desirable item that you could um, really sell hard, you know, at an event, something like that. I think it's a, a really cool idea that you have.
1: But you know what? Uh, what I've also found is by writing a book that is very practical in terms of the survival information. Mm-hmm. You know, I've developed this, this kind of cross-branding, cross-promotional um, reach with, with the survivalist mm-hmm. community. So I yeah. do a lot of these survival shows, and we do cross-promotion with people who've been on shows like Alone and Naked mm-hmm. and Afraid, and those guys have things like knives and survival gear that are branded. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there for uh, unusual-type items that are survival-related but cost more than, you know, a $20 t-shirt or a poster or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that is the very practical side of this. And also, you know, I've developed classes that I teach based on my books and because they have practical steps in them. So when I go to a lot of these seminars, I teach classes, and I'm pulling my books out and waving them around, you know. And, of course, that leads to after the show being mm-hmm. able to sell them to everybody who takes your class hopefully.
0: What's the uh, topic of the class?
1: Well, um, my book, Locker Nine, like Mm -hmm. I said, is about uh, this dad who's trying to get his daughter home from college. Mm -hmm. So the class that I teach specific to that is about how to use social media to build safety networks so that you have basically a network of safe houses between you and where your child lives. So
0: you Mm -hmm. use social
1: media and Church contacts or business contacts or whatever to find people along the route where if your child had to walk from college to your home mm-hmm. you know where could they stop and be safe for the night mm.
0: so
1: that's uh, really interesting, yeah, just the idea about how to do that and uh, you know how to prepare like a, a gear bag that your child could use to walk from school to home mm-hmm. uh, Practical things like that, but you know, mm-hmm. I've I've taught that class to hundreds of people and uh, used that as an opportunity to promote the books.
0: Well, that, yeah, that's a really interesting uh, way of tying in to your series. I think it's uh, incredibly clever, clever marketing. Obviously, people must love it because it's it ties right in.
1: Well, it becomes part of the brand that it's just not you know selling the books, but mm-hmm. it's doing the public stuff, too. And, mm-hmm. You know, I'm, like most writers, I'm an introvert. I could easily stay behind the keyboard all day and not go out and do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, that has become part of it. So I've just accepted that, you know, if I'm going to write these kind of books and, and do this kind of story, then I've got to be out there with the folks.
0: Have you um, have you got any, are you still writing new books in this series, or are you looking to start something new now? What's What's next on your horizon?
1: Well, I guess a lot of people now are writing an entire series and releasing it at one time, but mm-hmm. I've been adding to the series as it goes. So, yeah. you know, I just wrote the sixth Borrowed World book, and now I'm working on two more books for the Locker 9 series, and I also plan on uh, doing um, a science fiction novel in the winter, and then cool. I have another thriller that I'm wanting to do too. So I have, like, my next six books charted out, and about half are post-apocalyptic and half are other experiments. So, you know, okay. we'll see how that goes.
0: What's your uh writing day like or week like? Cause I mean, I know like like me, I mean, you've got you're juggling multiple careers and you've got uh how are you getting all this done?
1: Well, you know, what's really helped me a lot is using Dragon Naturally Speaking. Oh, of course. I've got, you know, an hour sometimes two hours that i'm on the road every day so Mm. i transcribe or i dictate into a recorder transcribe into dragon when i get home so that kind of gives me my rough draft of the day Mm. and if i can spend an hour or so polishing that up i can get two to three thousand words a day uh, just from that dictation time and then tuning it up on the keyboard
0: well that's fantastic yeah if you can turn drive time and mute time into writing time. That's Yeah, that's because that's impressive.
1: wasted time for me. So I just yeah. put on the headphones and I dictate, and that that's working well for me right now.
0: How many years have you been doing that? <clears throat>
1: um, really just since Austin. Hmm. When we were in Austin, my uh, yeah. friend Boyd Craven was talking about how well that worked for him and yeah. that he had written two books on his drive from Michigan to Austin using that method. So I decided to give it a shot, and it's working well for me
0: did you um have how long was the learning curve for you, do you think, from like trying to get it to work well to the point where you were happy with it?
1: I'm pretty happy with it right now uh, mm-hmm. you You have a, a process of teaching dragon to recognize your voice, okay. and if it can translate my voice, you know, which is Southern Virginia accent, then it can translate yours so uh you know yeah. dragon is a miracle worker. But it works really well. Uh, you, you take that short amount of time training it, mm-hmm. and then you continue over time mm-hmm. uh, to leave Dragon running while you're correcting any typos, and it learns from each uh, correction mm. process.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. What's yeah. what's your um, outlining process like in advance? As far as your, I, I one thing I've kind of come to understand is that in order to dictate, you need to plan really well.
1: Yeah, and you know what's funny about that is I have this great admiration for outliners, Mm -hmm. so I start each book by starting an outline, and about Mm -hmm. a third of the way into the outline, I get so excited about the story that (laughs) I want to go ahead and start the story, so I start the writing process and abandon the outline, so I've never finished an outline ever. But I really yeah. think that's the way to go, and it would save me a lot of missteps that I take when I write mm-hmm. myself into a corner and then have to back up and change something. So yeah. I really wish I was a better outliner, but I get so excited about the story and just want to go with it.
0: I can relate to that more than I'd like. Very, <laughs> that sounds very familiar to my writing style. So. Yeah. <laughs> What is what is it? Do you think about each story that you write that really gets you going? Like, is there a particular twist that you try to work into each story, or something that you're writing to that excitement that gets you off the outline and into writing? What is it about those stories that you think does that? <laughs> well,
1: you know, I think part of why my whole process of not being bound to an outline works is I'm not as structure dependent. I mean, my my stories have. Uh, A very defined structure to them, Mm -hmm. but they're more character-based. So I kind of know my characters by this point in the series, and it's easy for me to look inside my head and see how the characters would respond to a certain situation. So as I've learned my characters, uh, I I think I can think for them and speak Mm -hmm. for them. And, uh, that, that's the big thing for me is, is the characters, making the characters real, making the characters believable. And, uh, I focus much more on the characters than on plot twists and structure Mm. and all that, even though I do adhere to a pretty basic, uh, outline of, of what should happen when and, you know, the type of twists and revelations and experiences that the characters should have.
0: How close are your characters to getting uh, the world back in shape after six books? Are we still ways to go, or? You-
1: well, it kind of looked like it. You know, there were uh, the the lights had flickered back on, and people got their hopes up, and mm-hmm. then it turned out to just be an evil twist so uh, there is a lot of high drama in this book and mm. the people who thought the series were, was coming to an end are now telling me oh my god you've opened it up to like a half dozen more books <laughs> so you know that's that's what you want to do you want to keep it rolling
0: the nefarious author behind the keyboard always yeah has, exactly
1: oz <laughs>
0: <laughs> always has more plans
1: yeah uh, well
0: that's really cool um so where can people find more information about you and your books um, and if they if they want to find out more about this series um,
1: I have a website franklinhorton.com that has my books I'm not the best webmaster in the world I'm pretty bad about that but I try to keep it as updated as possible mm. I'm also really active on Facebook. You can find me there, and I, I tend to be pretty responsive to you know, interacting with people. And even though I'm an introvert, I spend a lot of time on there, and that's how readers generally communicate with me. But they can get on my website also and sign up for the mailing list and mm-hmm. uh, learn about the new releases and all that. So.
0: Well, that's fantastic.
1: And, uh, yeah, and the books, are, the books are exclusive to Amazon also, I, okay. uh, so you know, get on Amazon, that's where everything is.
0: So all those Kindle Unlimited subscribers can dive right in, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's fantastic.
0: Um, so I know we're catching a lot of people right in the middle of the afternoon on a, on a Wednesday, so we didn't get a lot of people asking live questions, but I encourage anyone who has been watching the replay, if you want to ask questions, feel free to comment with your questions for Franklin and um, we'll try to have him back on here and, and answer those as uh, as best he can. Um, so, yeah, Franklin, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being here, and uh, really looking forward to seeing you at the next conference.
1: Well, I enjoyed it too, Nathan, and I'll be seeing you probably, uh, what, a month and a half now? So, That's right,
0: uh, coming on down to Florida. Looking forward to it. All right, I am too. We'll get those tacos.
1: Yeah, see you, man.
0: <laughs> All right, see you.